Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey guys, today is Tuesday. It is the 17th of January. Welcome back. You know, we started out the new year talking about the Oregon Department of Education releasing uh, information about supporting gender expansive students, the guidance for schools. But we see this transgender issue as being the number one issue. It seems as though these days everything is connected to that, to discussion about gender and students, minor students, deciphering who they are, what they are, and what their gender is. And then the schools responding with all kinds of programs, information programs, and even anti-discrimination laws to protect them. So all eyes are on these kids. Just the other day, I received a phone call from a reporter by the name of Alice Giordano, who has been following the situation in public schools for probably as long as I have, um, more than 20 years. And we had a great discussion. She reached out to us because she wanted to know what we thought about Dornbecker Children's Hospital, which is under the umbrella of Oregon Health Sciences University. And they have the largest pediatric gender clinic for minors in Oregon. It's important for us to know what these gender clinics are doing. We need to know about all their services. We need to know about the laws in our respective states and who can access these services. Do you know the number of pediatric gender clinics are exploding across the country. As many as 300 new pediatric gender clinics have opened in the U.S. over the past few decades amid soaring rates of transgender identity among adolescents. Now, this is according to the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine. As transgender identity has become more and more common, pediatric gender clinics are popping up all over the country, offering various transitional medical services to minors. An organization called Gender Mapping states that 10 years ago, there were only a handful of gender clinics for children. Now, thanks to the Gender Mapping Project, they believe that there are over 400 in North America, and they're still counting. They advocate for an end to the experimental intervention being performed on children across the world. Our specific interest in this subject has to do 
with public schools and the fact that the public school system is referring these children, and in the state of Oregon, it's at age 15, to these gender clinics. They are the pipeline for patient referrals to the gender clinics. Think about it. They're teaching them in kindergarten about changing their sex. So today, let's take a look at Dornbecker Gender Services. They have a very fully uh, equipped website for someone who might be considering this procedures. Cute little logo here with a, with a little girl. She, she has pigtails and she, she's cradling her chin in her hands and um, encouraging us to check out all the services that they have for minors who want to change their sex. There are tabs here for patients, healthcare professionals, students and trainees, researchers, um, and awards and recognition. So they just introduce you to Dr. Kara Connolly, director of the Dornbecker Gender Clinic, who offer a family-centered approach to care for young people. Dornbecker Gender Clinic locations offer a full range of services for transgender and gender nonconforming children and teens. You'll find puberty specialists who treat hundreds of patients a year. Comprehensive care that includes ex experts in primary care, hormone therapy, and family health. Family support from a psychologist and psychiatrist and social worker. Adolescent medicine doctors who specialize in the needs of teens. A safe and welcoming gender-affirming environment. Locations at Dornbecker Children's Hospital and at our Cornell West Building in Beaverton, as well as outreach clinics. Learn research into improving treatments and outcomes. There are links here for learning more. The OHSU Transgender Health Program, Understanding and Supporting Your Child, and Resources. They have handouts, their PDFs about chest binding, puberty blockers, changing your name, preserving your fertility, and safe tucking. I'm going to explore all of those with you briefly. Then they have Treatment Overview. Referrals. Patients need a referral, usually from their pediatrician, to be seen at one of our Dornbecker Gender Clinic locations. Our clinic accepts new patients through the age of 18. Our pediatricians, pediatric endocrinologists, adolescent medicine doctors, and psychologists specialize in providing team-based care for children and teens. And we also provide treatment into young adulthood for some patients and we help them move into adult care. Now, I mean, you may not know this, but once a person decides to change their gender, they need uh, professional health, quote, care for the rest of their lives. They don't just walk out and now they're a woman or walk out and now they're a man. They, they require constant monitoring by a healthcare professional because, because the transition is dangerous to their health. 
Transgender Health. We work in cooperation with OHSU Transgender Health Program and follow World Professional Association for Transgender Health, or WPATH it's called, Guidelines for Care. When treatment starts, usually it doesn't begin until puberty. This is commonly age 10 or 11. We are happy to meet with you and your child before that, though, and we can answer questions and discuss. This is pretty wild, guys. They talk about delaying puberty, which has two main goals, according to WPATH. It gives adolescents time to explore their gender. Pubertal suppression doesn't necessarily lead to social transition or gender-affirming treatment. Actually, if they stop a child from going through pubescence, there are there is a downside, and they can't always just pick up where they left off. We know that, don't they? And they say that it prevents the development of sex traits that may be hard or impossible to reverse later. Some teens may go on to transition with hormone therapy or surgery. So they talk about, let's, let's explore this. What do they say about pubertal suppression? Well, you can click on a link here and it tells you. These, these suppressants are modified natural hormones that stop your child's body from making estrogen or testosterone. Your child also may receive hormone treatments such as progesterone to suppress menstruation and anti-androgens to block testosterone. How pubertal suppressants work. Puberty produces hormones, impulses that spur development, but suppressants deliver a steady amount. That essentially puts the puberty system to sleep. Really, doesn't that sound sweet? Children can stop taking them at any time. If they do so without starting hormone therapy, they will resume puberty based on the sex that was assigned at birth. Guys, this is creepy. Pubertal suppressants are usually given at the early stages of puberty after changes have begun. They aren't effective until then. They often take several months to start working. So they have to ramp up. Suppressants taken later in puberty don't reverse changes but can stop new ones. They are given by injections into a muscle every three months. Small implants can be placed under the skin of the inner upper arm. These are usually replaced every one or two years if pubertal suppression continues. Oh, now we're getting down to the risks. Deciding on suppressants involves weighing physical risks against the mental health risks of gender dysphoria. Oh, they're saying the mental health risks of gender dysphoria can include anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, and substance abuse. The long-term effects of these suppressants have been used for decades to treat children who start puberty too early. They have proved safe and effective in cisgender children. Oh, this is interesting. Currently, there is limited information about the long-term effects in gender-diverse patients. Don't you think that's risky? Not knowing what the long-term effects are? Well, here's one, risk to the bones. Suppressants cannot be used indefinitely without hormone therapy because of the health risks such as weak bone density. Bone building exercises and taking calcium and vitamin D can help, uh, but they can't, they can't guarantee that. And they monitor your child for potential problems. Fertility 
Suppressants should not affect your child's ability to have children. Oh, staying on them and then taking gender-affirming hormones may permanently reduce your child's fertility, though. And it goes on. Talking about what is hormone therapy, what hormone therapy works, risks of, uh, risks of hormone therapy. Let's take a look at that. Oh, there are a few serious health concerns about estrogen therapy, but patients may be tested for high blood pressure, higher cholesterol levels, and other risks. Some changes, such as to fertility, the ability to have biological children, or chest development, may be permanent. Lovely. Testosterone therapy, long-term risks, are unclear. They don't even know what will happen in that case. Some changes, such as to fertility or a deeper voice, may be permanent. Patients may be monitored for high red blood cell count, lower good cholesterol, higher bad cholesterol levels, and liver problems. Let's take a look at these PDFs that they have available. They have a five-page handout all about chest binding. They're calling it wrapping something around your chest to flatten your breasts. You can do this by wearing a tight-fitting piece of clothing called a binder. Or in other ways, chest binding can help people of any gender feel more comfortable with the way their chest looks and feels. Binding can be helpful, but doing it safely is very important. You might consider using stretchy bandages or duct tape. But these items are not made for binding, and they can be dangerous. Using them can keep you from breathing normally, make fluid build up in your lungs, and even cause serious injuries, such as broken ribs. Always talk to your doctor or other healthcare provider before you bind your chest. Okay, who's reading this? A 10 or 11-year-old kid. Good grief. You need to find a binder that fits well. Avoid choosing one that is smaller than you need, even if you want your chest to look as flat as possible. Wearing a binder that is too small puts you at risk for the same problems as using stretchy bandages or duct tape. This instruction is for adolescents who can't even drive a car. How often to bind? Okay. Well, it says, you know, should you, should you wear them? Should you wear it every day? When? Here are some important tips to stay healthy and comfortable. Only bind for eight to 10 hours at a time. Even the best binders can cause bruises or sores if you wear them too much. Take your binder off at night, just like other daytime clothing. Take breaks during the week. Avoid binding 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Use the time you are taking a break to wash your binder, then hang it up to dry. This will make it last longer. I might add that Planned Parenthood brags about their free chest binders that they offer to minors. Of course, this is without parents' knowledge or consent. So these kids are smashing their breasts at some risk. And how about puberty blockers? Here's a whole, oh, so cute the way they have the have it all laid out here about puberty blockers. My, my. If you're born with testicles, the changes during puberty include testicles growing larger. Really? Hmm. And this helps your body make more of the hormone called testosterone. 
remember they're talking to you know children that are that are minors they're they're maybe 10 11 penis growing larger yes well we would hope that would happen M- most people do okay hair growing on your face around the around the penis and testicles and in the armpits and elsewhere really acne pimples or zits growing taller and bigger in general getting a dup- deeper voice and a visible lump on your neck called an adam's apple Changes for people with ovaries. Oh, they're called people with ovaries or people with testicles. Developing breasts, getting wider hips, often a smaller waist or a curvier shape. Starting your menstrual period. Yeah, that's pretty much the onset of puberty. It usually happens two years after you start developing breasts. And what are puberty blockers? Now they're going to go into that. On, on, and why take them? Going through puberty that does not match your gender identity may cause stress and concern. This can be severe for some people. Taking puberty blockers can stop the process. This can give you time to think about making more permanent decisions about your body. We sometimes say that taking these medications is like pushing the pause button on puberty. Well, you guys, you push that pause button, you may never get it back. If you use puberty blockers early in puberty, you may need less treatment or surgery later. For example, puberty blockers keep your breasts from developing, and you would not need surgery to remove them later. Oh, planning ahead. But you're only 11 or younger. How do you know that you wouldn't like having breasts if you don't try? Okay, when to start taking puberty blockers? Hmm... Well, they won't work before you start puberty. So for bodies with testicles, oh, they don't even refer to them as boys. For bodies with testicles, this is when your testicles start getting larger and your penis grows. For bodies with ovaries, this is when you start to develop breasts. I can't take much more of this, and I bet you can't either. The bottom line is, guys, minors at age 10, do not have the cognitive ability to make these decisions. Their developmental maturity levels have been grossly overlooked by educators and mental and physical health professionals. Scientific findings regarding mental and emotional maturity are stunning. Conservative estimates indicate maturity at age 25. Motor control, meaning the myelination of the motor pathways, occurs around age 15, on average. Then the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, responsible for cognitive control and executive function, is pretty much myelinated by age 25. But then you start talking about emotions, and everyone realizes the impact of emotions on cognitive control They can change how much control you have. So when you look at the medial and orbital surfaces of the frontal lobe, which some call the social brain, the mean age of myelination of those connections between the limbic system and those frontal areas is about age 32. So that's a far cry from 18 and and way beyond age 8. 10 or 11, one wonders what is driving the frantic political focus to sign up 
other people's minor children for medical experimentation? Why are educators and counselors driven to solicit and recruit school children as young as five to become the opposite sex? I believe there are two things. Number one, the unfounded theory that if they don't stop puberty, the gender-confused youth will commit suicide. We know that is not true. It's absolutely not true. Most young children grow out of it. Actually, the truth is that when they go through puberty, they discover that they're not unhappy with their biological sex. They actually prefer it. If they take these dangerous drugs and enter into surgical changes, there is no turning back. That is when they think about committing suicide, when they've made a bad decision. The second item is money. Follow the money. Look at this gender clinic. Now they're establishing satellite clinics, one in Beaverton and who knows where else, wherever there's a pediatrician. And by the way, what about the referrals? What about the referrals from the school? What about from the school-based health clinics? What about the referrals from Planned Parenthood? Don't you think those referrals are rewarded? Money. Top surgery is $40,000. Who's making money? Doctors, big pharma, mental health professionals, and the public school system in state departments for public health. In Oregon, it's the, it's the Oregon Health Authority who is joined at the hip with the Department of Education who has become the biggest referral service ever for children to make a decision about changing their sex. And by the way, it has absolutely nothing to do with discrimination. Americans should be outraged. It's, this is barbaric. It's uncivilized. And it's got to stop. This is Parents' Rights. Now. Please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Please consider making a monthly contribution to Parents' Rights in Education. We need your help. We have big plans in mind. And because of a very generous one-time contribution of $25,000, we are challenging our listeners and our readers, all of our supporters, to match that gives $12 a month. If there were only 500 of you, that would tally up to $6,000 a month, almost tripling the $25,000 check we just received in one year. Be part of that club. We call it the 12 by 12 club. A link to our website is in the show notes or go to parentsrightsined.org. See you soon.